Good morning, Cobblestone. Welcome to COVID-19 Sunday number two. This is the second Sunday now that we haven't met together as the church family here in the building. And uh, I want to say I miss you fiercely. That front porch is just not the same without your beautiful faces streaming in. And when this thing is over, and it will be over someday, I can't imagine anybody's going to be more glad than I am to be getting back together here, here at the church. I may be overjoyed. I may, I may dance. I don't know. Uh, for your sakes, you better hope not. But I may not be able to control myself. Uh, meanwhile, what we're doing is getting uh, what would normally be a Sunday morning sermon together in kind of this corner of, of the sanctuary that we've seen uh, an equipping night, and we've seen a worship night, and tomorrow morning, and we'll see a Monday morning devotional. Uh, just making use of the space here and then making use of technology to get it all out to you. And, uh, and I hope the Lord is pleased. Actually, the Lord is pleased about something, and, and it seemed to me and to, and to Andrew and to the rest of the elders here at the church that the Lord is up to something maybe that we hadn't anticipated. And through these times that's been crazy, Maybe one thing we think is up, um, but God's up to something else. And I think maybe he's doing some radical sanctification in his bride, the church. He's uh, probably tuning up some things that we've been, been doing right for a while, and he's probably making right some things that we've been doing wrong for a long time. But I'm eager to see on the downstream side of this who we are and what we're doing, what's different, what's the same, and in all things give glory to the Lord. His church, thank you, Jesus. So today, since we're in this kind of a time, what I want to do is give you an evangelism tool. We're not gathered up here for Sunday worship services. We're not getting that right here in this space. It seems to me like when when some of the the quarantines are lifted, some of the uh, restrictions and recommendations get relaxed, that we're going to have a lot more time even then to get amongst the people and do evangelism. So I want to put an evangelism tool in your hands today. Now, for those of you who are gifted in evangelism, you're going, I got me a toolbox, thank you very much, and I know how to use it. I know you do. But not everybody's gifted in evangelism. In fact, some of you might be saying right now, oh, I'm not gifted in evangelism. Don't bother giving me the tool. Guess what? I'm not gifted in evangelism either, but that doesn't take us out of the game so far as evangelism is concerned. You see, evangelism is one of those things where (laughs) one of those aspects of the Christian life, you don't you don't have to be gifted in it to do it, but you do need to be equipped. So why would I say that? Here's how we can know. It comes from from Scripture. Yes, Ephesians 411 does say that Jesus has given to his church evangelists, those who are gifted in evangelism. But y'all are not the only ones the Lord expects to do evangelism in that same passage it's that verse and the next one it says he has also given four other gifts to his church he's given prophets apostles shepherds and teachers along with the evangelists and what all five of those gifted groups have in common is their purpose and their purpose is for building up the church that's what we do together so i know the lord is up to something I I know it's going to be glorious, and I am in 100% agreement with Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, it says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So yeah, we have a little bit kind of a a different arrangement here. 
what I've done is uh, I'm taking you a little bit upstream in the sermon preparation process. I'm going to show you kind of how it comes together uh, rather than just bringing what's, what's the, the end of, of my work or, or, or one of the other Andrews or one of the other preachers on a Sunday. What you see here, what I'm leaning against, is actually the desk from my study at home. I brought it up here to the church uh, just as like a token. And uh, you can see on here that uh, it's not very big. It's definitely not very fancy. Uh, it is a place to put, to put books. What I got recreated here a little bit, kind of, sort of, is a setting like if you were to show up at my house and say, hey, John, what are you working on? I would say, have a seat. Let's take a look. And you can see on the desk here, these are like, like, like the tools of the trade. This is like the nourishment for, for a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the living and active Word of God. Got the study Bible right here in the middle. And that's, that's like the beginning. Over here, I got a, another Bible that's in like a functional equivalent version. And I'll reference that every once in a while. Got the, hmm, a commentary from about... 65 years ago, got a commentary here from about 55 years ago. Underneath, this thing's called the Biblical Illustrator, and that's excerpts from sermons that go back anywhere from 150 to, to 500 years. And then, of course, with the commentaries, I got my old buddy, Matthew Henry, and he goes way back as well. What you might not recognize, if I hold it up for you, is this thing called, <laughs> I call it a, a cheat sheet. Great. Sorry about that. But as I, as I pray and study and listen, I keep this thing handy along with a pen and whatever, something I need to get written down before it leaks out of my head, I kind of, well, keep it onto the sheet. So that's kind of how it rolls, you know. There would be a laptop and that kind of stuff. And to finish getting you oriented in my, in my workspace like it would be at home, it would go kind of like this. Over to this side, there would be a six-foot-long bookcase. And right over there, there'd be a six-foot-tall bookcase. Right behind me would be a double-wide six-foot-tall bookcase. And, and right over here is a file cabinet. I have no idea what the file cabinet's for, so I pile books on top of it. But that's the workspace itself to study. It's like a little 9 by 12 area in the upstairs of my house. My favorite part of the workspace, though, goes like about 22 feet out that way. And, and at the end of those 22 feet, there's a big row of east-facing windows and window seats. And that open space in between makes a great place to, uh, to pace and pray and, and, and listen to the Lord. And that window seat against the windows makes an even as a great place to kneel and pray and listen to the Lord. So if you're catching the theme there, there's a, there's a whole lot of, of listening to the Lord and, and leaning into that whole thing like Jesus said. In John chapter 7, he said, my teaching is not my own. It is his who, who sent me. And so to always, you know, if you're teaching here and, and bringing a message from, from God's word, I want to make sure everybody knows that, that the message isn't mine. The teaching isn't my own. It's his who sent me. And I pray several times through, through the preparation of something like this to, oh, Lord, use me as a man of truth to work for the honor of the one who, who sent me and go about it kind of kind of that way. So this evangelism tool that I told you about, it's called the Romans Road. And it may be the single most effective evangelism tool the church has ever been, been blessed with. 
I'm going to put it in your put it in your hands if you don't have it already. We're going to walk this thing through. Now, how how much you go about using this thing? Well, you know your context better than I do, and the Lord knows your context even better than you do. He provides dozens and dozens and dozens of opportunities, large and small, that may span a long, long time. Uh, what I think will help is is for you to have this on kind of on lock and load. You, you will have practiced it. It's very simple, really, and it, and it picks up the plan of, of, of redemption from beginning to end, from problem to solution on into, on into glory. Uh, today, what I'm going to give you is, is not just the how, you know, the tool itself, but I also want to give you the why. You know, why would you cooperate, especially those of us who aren't gifted in evangelism? Why, why, would, you, why would you work in that way? along with the Lord, to, to work evangelism. So you get the how and the why. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit's telling me that if you understand the why, the how will just flow naturally out of, out of your love for Jesus and your love for others. So if you're ready, if you get a Bible, get it open. Probably should have told you this a couple of seconds ago. We're going through the book of Romans. It's about halfway through the New Testament, and we're going to go to, to chapter 3. We got a few steps on the Romans road, and the first one is in chapter three, verse twenty-three. And it says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Okay, well, the plan, God's plan of redemption, has, like every every good plan, it has a plot. Well, like a good story, it has a plot, and every good plot needs a problem, some sort of um, you know messed up situation that somebody needs to unmess. Well, Romans 3.23 begins to point towards the problem that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you present that to somebody, as you work it into the conversation, you're getting, starting to get intentional about it, I guess I probably should be straight up honest with you and tell you you might encounter some resistance even at that point, some, some reluctance or, or questioning, and it's not a resistance like, well, I don't believe in God. The resistance or the, the, the comment you might get back from the person you're talking to would probably be something more like, well, yeah, I agree. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's perfect. So what's the problem with sin? Well, that's where Romans 6.23, the first part of that verse, is going to kick in. Romans 6.23, the first half of that verse, says, for the wages of sin is death. So you get those two together and, and they work together like that. 3.23 kind of points toward the problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 6.23 describes the problem of sin, not just falling short of the glory of God. God's, God's holiness is, is unapproachable and, and, and his, his goodness will not, sin cannot exist in God's presence. So you see the problem. Therefore, in sin's presence with God is life. There's no life other than that, than, than the sin that, that takes a person out of God's presence, separates a person from God quite naturally. Um, you know, it, it can go no place else but death. So I can tell right now, right through the camera, that you're just itching to get out here and spread this happy news to the next person you pass on the street, hey, did you know that the wages of sin is death? All right. 
you've just, just described the, the, the problem, but the Romans road doesn't stop there. Remember I said there's, there, there's a messed up situation that needs to be unmessed, so the next milepost on the Romans road is, is chapter 5, verse 8. This is where the hero comes riding in. Pick your hero, um, John Wayne, uh, Harrison Ford, Jennifer Lawrence. I don't know. I don't get any more up to date than that. Sorry, but here uh, we have your favorite hero times infinity, and the hero here would be Jesus Christ. And Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is where the plot pivots. And it pivots on Jesus and his sacrifice. Or at least it looks like that at, at the first. When you look into Romans 5.8, there are a couple of superstar phrases that are in there. Obviously, the one that says, Christ died for us, yet without that, there is no redemption because there was no atonement. So that looks like it gets the, 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 the biggest hype, you know, the boldest hype. Christ died for us in Romans 5.8. And you know, the, the phrase right before it, while we were still sinners, that ain't too shabby either. We didn't have to clean ourselves up. God wasn't waiting for us to get our act together before he said, okay, Christ can die for you now and it'll be all right. But even those two phrases are not, are not the shining stars of that verse. The one that is the, the superstar here is the one that, that, that almost begins that verse. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. As you're, as you're looking at that verse and you're reading it, maybe you're meditating on it, or as you're ready to present that to somebody else, church, that's an essential understanding. You've got to ask yourself, why did Christ die for us? Yes, Christ died for us. Yes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But why? And that's where it's important to know that superstar phrase from the front of that verse. If you miss it, you've missed the whole thing. So to put it into, to get a better understanding of this, let's put it into context. We've asked the question, why did Christ die for us? Let's contrast it by putting it, let's look at the why not, and then come back to the why. So Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Now, this wasn't God just finally reaching the end of his reluctance and saying, all right, all right, Jesus, go die for these clowns if you're willing to, and I'll put up with you. It wasn't that at all. That's not what Scripture says. It was God showing his love. That's what Scripture says. Romans 5.8 is where the Romans road kind of stretched. It's about to break into this big, wide, high plateau with, with lots of open road and, 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 and some high-speed glory straight ahead. But church, don't go for the glory until the person you're talking to, this person God called you um, to, to talk about the condition of, of this person's soul, don't go for the glory until the person you're talking to is starting to show signs of understanding God's love. The older I get, more convinced I am that 99% of humanity's problem 
is forgetting if, if, if we ever knew how much God loves us. On this lonely road, if you're going to linger anywhere, linger right here. Linger right here. Get a pretty good understanding yourself of God's love. And the person you're talking to, the person that's like your soul, who's, who's, you're concerned about this person's soul. That's, that's why you're here. That's why you're doing this thing. Linger here and make sure those eyes are beginning to understand God's love. The time will be right for the next step, the next milepost on the Romans road, and it's Romans 6.23. Not just the first part, but the whole thing. If you look at Romans 6.23, the whole thing says, for the wages of sin is death, Nothing's changed in the first part of that verse since we saw it last. It's still 100% true, comma, but the free gift of God is eternal life in in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the rest of Romans 6.23. Nothing's changed. We just got the whole thing. Upstream of the comma, you got the problem. Downstream of the comma, you have the, the remedy. The hero, Jesus, he came riding in, and he, and he provided the only solution that ever existed for the problem, and now we see both ends of it, that the free gift of life is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The one important thing to remember about Romans 6.23, whether for yourself or, or for somebody else, is the free gift of God mentioned in this verse isn't a free gift or some free gift or any old free gift. This is the free gift. This is T-H-E-E-E, all caps, the free gift of God. Without this gift, there is no life. With this gift, there's life now, and there's life eternal. The cool thing about Romans 6.23 is, you know, when you're evangelizing, when you're you're presenting the gospel in in such a masterful way that the Lord's going to provide this, he will. You get to this point, and if somebody understands God's love, this is just like part of the package. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, in God's unfailing love, why would he not? Of course he will offer me the free gift of eternal life through my Lord Jesus Christ. And it just rolls on. That's the high-speed glory I was talking about up on this, I think, like the most high plateau. We got a realization there of, oh, there was the problem. That's long gone. Now we're into the remedy, like, oh, glory, hallelujah. And then when the time comes, we're ready to kind of close the loop and, and bring this new believer into an understanding of, of what this all means. Now remember, you're walking into something God had underway already. So, you know, he knew it before y'all did, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's important to, to hear it in our own ears to kind of get confirmed in, in our hearts and in our minds when we come to that. So the last official milepost on the Romans road is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. I'm going to flip a little bit for a second. And it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God makes the most important thing one of the very simplest things. Confess and believe. It, It comes down to that. God doesn't play games with salvation. He doesn't play hide-and-seek with the, the things you need to know about the saving of your soul. He's not trying to catch anybody out on a technicality. 
This is all very straightforward and is really very simple. We've got all the, all the milepost on Romans 1. 3.23, first part of 6.23, 5.8, love that one. 6.23 in its entirety, and Romans 10.9. You can throw in verse 10 there if you want to, but 9 is a whole lot easier to, to, to get a hold of. 10 just unpacks uh, verse 9 in chapter 10. So you've got it. That's the how. That's the tool. And as promised, we're headed for the why. But there's one step I want to take on the way there. And I'm pretty sure it's worth us doing. This would be a, be a really good place for a heads up to pause and like this. Before you present a Romans road or, or share the gospel with anyone in any way, preach it to yourself. Preach it to yourself maybe a little more often than you think you need to. If you haven't preached it to yourself in the last 24 hours or so, you're probably due or maybe even overdue. Preach this to yourself. Take the Romans road and and walk it. Get with the Lord. Shut off the distractions and walk through it with the Lord. Yes, I sinned and I sinned and I sinned some more. And I know the only thing all that sin deserved was death. But God showed me his love in that Christ, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And man, it just it brings this, it causes this, this gratitude to well up. It shuts down the lies of the devil. It gets you in a place where you can hear the truth of God. But God showed his love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner, not when I got it all together, but when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And then you walk into that thing and you look at the whole thing. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, but Jesus made a way to get out of that, get off of that trap and onto this other thing. But the free gift of God is eternal life through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Take that, that, that other step. If you confess with your mouth, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm eager to confess with my mouth uh, and believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Eager to. Now walk that through. Fade that through. Preach that gospel to yourself. Then you're, then you're ready to go. And you're ready to present it to, to somebody else. So we've got the how, and we've got this thing in between. Preach the gospel to yourself. Now what might we do to get the why? The why, other than God said to, would we engage in this thing called evangelism, especially if we're not really gifted in it? Well, if you flip over from Romans into 2 Corinthians, there's a couple of paragraphs in chapters 3 and 4 that give probably the best explanation in a very compact space that you're going to find in all of Scripture. It, it kind of covers the whole why of evangelism. So I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to start at verse 17 of chapter 3, and I'm going to read through uh, verse 6 of chapter 4, a couple, three paragraphs there. What I'd like is for you to have that that open in front of you, however you get that. Um, yeah, Flint Bibles, I love them. Have that open in front of you because part of the time I'm going to be reading and part of the time I'm going to be I'm going to be teaching, and I'd love for you to know which is which. So you've got eyes on God's Word and you've got ears on the teaching I'm doing in between, the Lord leading and guiding me, thank you, Jesus, uh, to, to get that done. 
But let's get to why of evangelism. As we read through this passage, there are two words that I'd like for you to pay special attention to. The word veiled and the word unveiled. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to do, to do what? That's a great question. Let's read on. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, and you didn't miss the word ministry, did you? It's right there. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, okay, if you're not gifted in evangelism, you still, by reason of being a saved person, a child of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, have this ministry. Therefore, having this ministry, we do not lose heart. That's we, all of us, who are Christians. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced this graceful, underhanded way. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. For by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Let's go full circle. Most of the people you know don't have a clue about God's love. Not a clue about God's love. Most of the people you know have no clue about the danger their souls are in. I mean, I said most. I mean, even if you travel in, in mostly Christian circles, I'll still say most because the, the people you know and, and the people God has called you to live life with include the people you work with, the people um, you do business with, the, the parents of the kids your kids go to school with, neighbors, and, and, and on and on, and family and extended family. Most of the people you know have no idea what danger their souls are in, and they have no idea, no clue about the love of God. Why not? Why don't they believe? Because they can't. They can't. I ask you to pay special attention to two words in, in that passage, veiled and unveiled. Here comes the clue. Who has the unveiled face of God. That's right. We who have believed, we who have been with the Lord, and, and not just with the Lord, but he is, he, is, he is in us, his Holy Spirit. Jesus, in John chapter 7, he said that from the hearts of those who would believe in him, there would be rivers of flowing water. And he was referring to the Holy Spirit, who was yet to be given as the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, if the Spirit is causing these rivers of flowing water, rivers of living water to flow out, the Spirit must be on, on the inside. 
with these unveiled faces and, and this measure of, of God's Spirit, the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, where is the Spirit of the Lord? Church, it's, it's in us, we who believe. With these unveiled faces, we have been beholding the glory of the Lord. Unveiled. Now, where's question number two? To whom is the gospel available? To those who are perishing. Man, that's a scary word. Perishing? Really? Yeah, if we went to into Second Thessalonians one, uh, chapter one, verses eight and following, yeah, it gets really intense. It's nothing Jesus hadn't talked about even before Paul wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. Hell is not a new topic. It's not not a, a headline that suddenly popped up, right? So this word perishing, the gospel, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And if you think that's an unchangeable state. Hang on a minute. Do those who are perishing now have to stay that way? The next next verse in there says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So the God of this world, little g God, right? He's got this work going on, and, and some of it is effective. But his work doesn't have to stand. It doesn't have to roll like that for eternity. The state of an unbeliever's soul doesn't have to stay where it is. It can change. Yours did. So here's why we get engaged in this thing called evangelism. It, again, we kind of we got the the problem that toward the end. It's like flipped from from the Romans road. The problem is in the is at the end. People are perishing. The solution is at the beginning. It's like giving us a heads up. Like, come on, there's there's a way. You're going to see this problem. There's a way to to deal with it. And here's how. You notice the words in chapter three. Verse, what, 18, and we all with unveiled, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That word beholding means more than just seeing. That word beholding there means more than seeing and understanding. It still goes further than that. That action word beholding in this usage means not only seeing and understanding but also agreeing with and even reflecting. Reflecting. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to what? Reflect the glory of the Lord, to agree with the glory of the Lord, to see and understand. And with this unveiled face, <laughs> be the light that the unbelievers haven't yet been able to see. That's where you go with all of this. In the next chapter of 2 Corinthians, love it. There's a verse here that's really familiar, and when I begin to quote it, you'll go, oh yeah, I've heard that. It's verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's glorious. And, and, and I think most of us have, have heard that, maybe even memorized that. Maybe what's a little less familiar from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that in the next three verses, God tattoos two more new titles. We get new creation. We also get minister of reconciliation. And we get ambassador for Christ. Has it occurred to you or have you read in 1 Corinthians 5.20 that God is making his appeal through us? He is reconciling all things to himself through Christ and he's making his appeal through us. 
that's a splendid idea. As intimidating as it may seem from, from our end, it's a splendid idea. It's the one that's going to work because that's God's plan. That's what he has in motion. But if that is intimidating to you, 517 through 20, okay, ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation, I know I'm a new creation. Ah, what do I do with this evangelism thing? Finish out the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right now, at this moment, the righteousness of God is walking the planet. All over the face of this earth, from pole to pole, sea to shining sea, the righteousness of God is, is underway, and you're part of that. That's what you're doing here. You thought gravity was a force to be reckoned with? It's got nothing on this force, this righteousness of God, this plan A, one and only plan of God to bring redemption and salvation to people. Yes, we are a part of that. So what, what happens then? If you've got this unveiled face as a believer, as, as an adopted child of God, this unveiled face, you've been beholding the glory of God, you've been understanding, agreeing with, reflecting the glory of God. What happens when you come in contact with somebody through whom the gospel has been veiled and, and the God of this world has blinded their mind? Take a look at 2 Corinthians 3.16. This is so cool. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil, the veil is removed. Through this open proclamation of the truth, the veil is removed. The veil is taken away. Does that sound, does that sound familiar? The veil is, you know, the veil, no more, no more veil. Does that sound, sound like something Jesus would be pleased with? something Jesus might even do? Sound like fun, participating and cooperating with Jesus and then taking the veil away? Absolutely. Absolutely. You unveil a face, man, glory happens. There's another one to reflect the glory, the glory of God. You know what else happens? All that ratty work that the God of this world had done in blinding the, the mind of the person you've been talking to, it gets undone. It's no more. It doesn't stand. It doesn't work. The devil gets beat. The old timers call it, which is such a classic kind of a phrase. I love it. They call it giving the devil a black eye, right? And that sounds like a whole bunch of fun. I, uh, I, went, into, <laughs> I went into a video store, all right? Don't judge me because I'm still renting DVDs. I went into a video store uh, last week, early last week, I guess it was, picking up something and saying I want to unwind a little bit. It had been, it had been one of those days, you know, one of those days. It was like the first half of Psalm 73 on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. Look it up. You'll know what I'm talking about. One of those days. So I walk into the video store, and on the screens around the store, uh, the movie Independence Day was playing. I'm like, oh, oh, this is perfect. I get it. So I went over, got a copy of Independence Day, and, and I took it up to the counter to pay for the rental. Young woman behind the counter, I handed her a talk to her, and I said, "You got me with Independence Day on, on the screens here." Looked at me kind of funny. I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the good fight to win." And if you're ready for the good fight to win, she had no idea what I was talking about. If you're ready for the good guys to win, 
engage this thing. Engage this thing here, this ministry of reconciliation. Whether you're gifted in evangelism or, or not, you don't have to be gifted. You just have to be equipped. And Jesus then made a way for that in, in his church. Engage this whole thing of evangelism. Be lifting the veil off the faces of those who've been, who've been blinded by the God of this world. Do that work of an evangelist and participate with the Lord Jesus. So here you go. You've got the how. You've got the Romans road. You've got the love of Christ that compels you, right? The love of Christ. Why, why would you do this evangelism thing? Because the love of Christ compels you. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Why would you not? I'm just a little bit proud of the fact that I've never seen a full episode of the TV show Friends. Be that as it may, I do remember a scene and a character named Phoebe, where Phoebe walks into this um, tense and dire situation that some of her friends are in. Uh, they're trying to figure it out. She stands there, and, 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 she, and she gets this sort of sympathetic expression. She goes, oh, I'd love to help, but I don't want to. You're not Phoebe. I know you well enough to know you don't want to be Phoebe. The love of Christ compels you to not be Phoebe. You don't have to do that, and you don't even want to. Roll with the love of Christ. So at this point in our talk right now, you've got the how. You've got Romans Road. You've got the love of Christ taking you out of Phoebe mode and into this ministry of reconciliation mode. You've got that. Preach it to yourself first, and then walk with the Lord. Pray, like, Lord, Lord where am I going? Show me these opportunities, and, 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 and do this thing. You're almost good to go. One last little word of caution. There is this weird expectation that, that comes with the evangelism tools, whether it's Romans Road, Bridge of Illustration, or whatever. And, and the weird expectation is that, and especially 20 minutes, or maybe an hour, this thing will work, well, it won't. If it does, great, and if it doesn't, well, it must not work. And that's an unrealistic expectation tell you with a great degree of certainty that the people God calls you to minister to and, and present the gospel to is on a much longer timeline than that. It, it might be, um, you know, a, a cup of coffee at, at wherever in the space of an hour. It might be a 20-minute conversation with your neighbor across the fence. It, it might be, it might be, you know, walking out to discuss with your buddy after work. But more likely, it's going to be a matter of weeks, months, years or even decades keep walking with the lord keep listening to the lord asking him where are my opportunities and asking for emboldening to not pass up the opportunities let the love of christ compel you to be a minister of reconciliation so you got those tools if still you need one quick clean reason to be involved in evangelism I'd say go with this, Ephesians 5.1, and it says, not a TLT, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Remember Romans 5.8 back here, like the text of the Romans road? Remember why Christ died for us? It's God showing us his love. If you, out of love, work for the redemption of souls, offer yourself up a, 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 as an agent, as a minister, of evangelism, you're doing the same thing God has done. Smaller scale, absolutely. But you're cooperating with him rather than passing up his chances. 
to cooperate. The imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, freely use the food, freely give, doesn't cost you a thing in, in, from that eternal perspective at all. Cooperate with the Lord in that. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. You know, the time we're in is, is probably a lot less unusual than we're thinking right at this point. It's not unusual so far as the church's history goes. That very first church was sitting pretty in Jerusalem until it wasn't. And persecution broke out, and, and the church the church scattered all, all over the place. If evangelism is going to work at all, it's going to have to be most everybody involved in doing it, or it wouldn't have worked. We're in kind of a similar time. Frankly, you know, the church has, has, has tended to come inside these four, four walls and we love one another's fellowship and our company. I, I miss you fiercely, I'm not lying. And, and we enjoy one, another com- one another's company, we enjoy worshiping together, and then we kind of we lose that, that boldness, we kind of lose that shine like Moses had after he talked with God. You know, we put that, that veil over his face. We kind of lose that as we, as we go out from here. But one of the things I truly believe God is up to is he's simplifying and purifying many of the things that the church has made too complicated over the last century. And I'm glad we're cooperating with him in that, if you will, if you just will. The only thing we need at this point is like a, a prayer of, of commission. You got the tools. You got the love of Christ. You got the, hey, preach it to yourself and, and let's get rolling on this thing. Let's bring it to a place where, where we get this prayer of commission and ask the Lord to embolden us. Lord, love you, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Your work is, is perfect and it's finished, and we are walking right into it, Lord God. Uh, Jesus, show us how to bring the truth of your finished work to the people you've put in our path. We trust you with the divine appointments. And Lord, where we might try to duck out or on the opposite end of the spectrum manipulate, Lord, bring us back into the center of your will in this thing called evangelism. Lord, I would guess every single one of us here can, can get a name just in a second and say, oh no, that's somebody I care about who's, who's perishing. Lord, keep bringing those names to our mind. Lord, show us the places where you engineer those circumstances so superbly to be perfect, Lord God, and give us the boldness to walk right into it. Lord, help us to get the simplicity of this Romans 8 thing and, and, and the glory of your plan of redemption all at the same time. Lord, we don't clutter it and we don't try to make it way too complicated. Lord, help us to simplify it and bring glory to you. Lord, the Father, you are your church. You, you bought us with the blood of your precious Son. We recognize, O oh Lord, that we are yours. We look to no other for goodness and, and, and guidance and life itself. Lord, be glorified in the things that you've got us doing. Remind us again and again, Lord God, of your love. Let us walk in it and know it better than we ever have before. More tomorrow than we do today, we know in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being with us in this time, for teaching in this time. Uh, Spirit of truth, thank you. Uh, Spirit of the Lord for guiding us in, in your truth. Bring glory to the Father, glory to your people, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, go.